do you put statistics on this, Phil? Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikhail Antonio! Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast where we wait until Prime Ministers fall to record a football <laughs> podcast. Joining me as ever from Analytics United are Callum Goodall and Jack Elderton. Good evening. Hey Chris, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. I live, we live, we go again. Uh, this week we will cover many, many things, but amongst them, uh, corners and our efficiency or lack of so far this season. Um, the first half, second half comparison dichotomy uh xg underperformance and also kind of you know the improvements we've made since we last spoke when everything was a little bit depressing if i remember cal yeah yeah it really was i think was it just after that everton game which uh i was to give one word from memory i think dow comes to mind yes it was quite draining that one i think since then it's what four wins a draw and a defeat since the last pod jack so um there ha- there's been improvements in results and in performances too yeah, I think performances have, have really turned a corner. Um, maybe we've been a little bit unfortunate um, to, to to even get that one defeat. You know, that was as we're recording last night up at Liverpool, which was, again, a pretty good performance. And, and even the draw against Southampton, I thought we played really, really well after sort of uh, the first half an hour, say, definitely in the second half um, and probably created it enough in that game or, or dominate certainly dominated territory enough in that game had the ball around their box enough to 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 have come away maybe with the points um although saying that i think in both the southampton and, and liverpool games we'll, we'll come to this um those, those teams may have felt that in the first 20 25 minutes of those games they could have been more than just one goal ahead mm, and certainly liverpool I mean, they had, even if it felt like we kind of had a, a certain level of dominance or at least control of, of, of affairs, they came very close. I mean, Zuma got quite lucky um, <laughs> for yes. that ball to sail and land on the bar. And there was the Henderson cutback as well to Firmino and stuff like that. So, yeah, they, they were still in there. But what, what do you think, Cal, I mean, what are you seeing that you think has led to this improvement? It, is it more than just kind of fixtures? Uh, I think there's certainly an element of that. But I think I'm starting to see... Probably not quite the consistency I've wanted to in certain certain metrics in terms of the data, but I'm starting to see definitely an increased understanding um, between the team, particularly between uh, the likes of Paqueta and Skamaka. I think that neither of them have hit the heights yet that, that we want them to see and that I expect them to reach. But I think there's definitely been something of a partnership blossoming there. And we've seen glimpses of that since we last recorded. And I think as well, um, I think it was the Wolves game, uh, the sort of link up between Skamaka and Bowen and, and Skamaka's um, ball playing ability, really, and his sort of ability to to take the ball in, turn out and, and find passes, which I think is uh, an aspect of his game that people might not have expected. But he's really shown in glimpses. But again, I think it, it really has been glimpses in that respect. I think there's also been games. I mean, <laughs> last night, Skamaka's performance was was a subpar, to say the least, I think, uh, frustrating to say the most. And that was really annoying. But I think, yeah, the understanding generally, the shape, I think, is starting to click. I think we've seen, again, to use the same word, glimpses of uh, what Moyes' vision was going into the season. And I think after a bit of trial and error, he started to find a couple of uh, approaches both in terms of build-up and defensive structure that seem to be working pretty well. I think our defence has been pretty solid throughout the season, really, um, in terms of our expected goals against. We've consistently ranked in the top four uh, to top six. But it's the attack that was, particularly when we last recorded, a real issue. We, we looked stagnant and the last three games in particular have sort of shown a trend towards better creation and, and goal creation. I think something like 60 shots across the last three games, um, spread uh, well I think that was prior to the Liverpool match so something like 70 across four now um but yeah that sort of created we're now starting to create the chances that we perhaps weren't creating quite so frequently um in the first few games of this or first five to ten games of the season that gives me enough confidence to think that with the quality in the squad and as people start to develop these relationships further those chances will eventually start to be converted this is really interesting. I will come back to Bowen, which I think is really, really um, pointy, but 
interesting you pointed out because I mean Skamaka and Paqueta are going to get oh Paqueta I should probably say um, are going to get mm-hmm. a lot of the attention and I, I can't be the only one who's having to really practice saying yeah. that because it's just when you learn a name um, but their, their, their partnership has is, is kind of thrilled people and I think people are clinging to it even before it was there I've been kind of desperately grasping onto something like that Jack but that has been something that's developed. It, it, it's not just the luck of the draw that those those assists have fallen and that those two have combined for goals. It's obviously something forming. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think, you know, we struggled a little bit to find the best role for Paqueta. And I think partly that, that those struggles have continued in periods of games, but we've also seen um, extended periods of matches as well where he's been playing in, 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 a, in his best role, where he's had more flexibility and freedom in the middle of the park to drift um, around across the whole pitch, really pick up the ball as much as possible and, and help him build up, but also add that kind of final third impact. You're playing a pretty similar role, actually, to the role that Manuel Lanzini played throughout the sort of second half of last season, where Lanzini really struggled to offer much in the final third, but helped mm-hmm. a lot in build up. You, you, Paqueta is kind of combining that that ability and build up with um, with with something in the final third as well, and um, that best better supports Skamaka. I think the, one of the really big things for me though is just a, a massively improved individual performances. You know, Bowen has has really turned the corner. I think Rice and Suchek is the biggest thing um, from from where we were. You know, Rice has played very very well since the international break um where he was well off his best level in in that for opening period of the season Suchek has improved individually since then i think Cresswell has has been yeah. very very good as as well and 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 also worth talking about Craig Dawson who 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 didn't play against um Liverpool and and, you, and in some ways we missed him really uh, at, at the heart of the defence and him returning for the, for this period post international break for the for the last few games until his injury uh, made a really big impact on on the side as well so um, those are the main things for me and also I think I, I referenced it when talking about Paqueta the build up looks uh, just a lot better and and, and that's about Paqueta helping but it's also about um, Rice who really struggled to. Uh, just with the simple sort of like pass and move, uh, taking the ball off yeah. the, off defenders and, and combining with defenders to get beyond pressure, is very static um, in those first sort of five six games. And since then, uh, we've seen a massive improvement from him, where he's now driving up the pitch a lot more. We're seeing him uh, putting up the kind of progressive numbers that we're used to, um, and that gives the side a, a much improved platform uh, to generate chances but also to sustain pressure which is a big thing that we needed to unlock this season we're gonna we're gonna talk about ugly stats later do remind me to to come back to Suchek and Rice at that point I was certainly one thing you could say from yesterday's game is the way Rice glided through Liverpool's midfield should surely give him confidence that if he can do it at a place like Anfield in a game like that even maybe though they may allow you to play a touch more I don't know he should be able to do it across our other fixtures as well. As much as we talk about improvement, we're then going to move on to something that sounds completely opposite. Uh, XG underperformance. <laughs> if I, I was about to say, you know, there are people that don't like stats, but if you don't really like the analysis of stats, this is a hell there? of a podcast for you to, <laughs> to listen to. Um, if by now you've been, yeah, well, actually, I, I don't think I'm into stats. It's taken you quite a while. And God bless you for carrying on. Um, obviously, I mean, we were talking and a lot of people's reaction to the Southampton game felt it felt like you couldn't say anything in the Southampton game without saying 25 shots, 25 shots. Someone would scream. Even Cal might scream at someone on the internet. 25 shots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But 25 shots doesn't mean anything, obviously, if you're still scoring one goal. Um, So I I suspect very, very much that we were underperforming XG in that game. It it feels to me like it's something we've had as a problem for two or three years. Is it? Is it a carrying on trend? Is it something that's just notable at the moment, Jack, or is this is this a West Ham issue? I think it's 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 a uh, to, to repeat a, a tweet that I got. I, I think yesterday it's it's it's, it's almost h- hilarious that that we've gone out and spent uh, a lot of money on on a striker famed for his finishing ability, mm. and um, we've really hit our Brighton bag um, yeah. since then. <laughs> And uh, it's, that's sort of typical West Ham in a way to bring in a, a proper finisher and to struggle more so than than before with um, with putting the ball in the back of the net. I think rightly pointed out as well today that that at times our our xG 
per shot hasn't been where it should be, uh, certainly in the opening period of the season. They're seeing some improvement in that now. But ultimately, yeah, it's been those kind of final actions that haven't really been going well as of late. I do think this is one of those things that will just even out. We, you know, we have I, got... I was going to ask how long, especially with Skamaka, who who possibly it feels like has only done it in maybe two or three of those games. How long until you take concern with an individual, especially someone like him, who's obviously quite young and has burst onto the scene, maybe you might say, in a, if you're Michael Richards. But, you know, he's still quite relatively new in his career at West Ham. Well, I have no concern with Skamaka's finishing okay. whatsoever, really. Okay. I think, you know, it's been a broader issue than just him. I think one of the key, the real, one of the real key areas has been, and we'll come to it later, is corners. Uh, at set pieces more generally as well, XG underperformance from those has been absolutely massive this season. Um, you know, with Bowen, it was a much bigger issue earlier in the season, somewhat recently, but, you know, you've seen his, his finishing ability return on a couple of occasions um, since the last podcast. I think, you know, I, I, I honestly believe there is enough quality in, in the final third in the team for this for, for us to just turn a corner with this I think it's you know the, the most important thing is can you for me anyway is can you sustain attacks can you generate chances are we doing that at the moment I would say so um, and, I, and I think you know over time uh, this will be something that, that, that evens out partly I think it is just we haven't really had a game I, I almost feel that you know if we have a game uh, at some point where we, we put four past someone it will completely change the the, the uh, confidence in that front yeah. line you know goals generate that kind of confidence and then performances get even better um and and much like cal said you know we're missing uh we'll be missing paqueta for a couple of weeks now uh with a shoulder injury but we haven't really hit, uh, seen them you know hit their max level yet yeah. really in 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 many games i think i can only really think of the the andelect uh game away from home where they were both very good i think both came off the bench in that game and, and were very good other than that, I don't think we've seen them hit a particularly high uh, level yet, and 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 they will. They they have so much talent that they will, yeah. and when they do, I think that will that will massively change things. As long as the as the team continues to provide a good platform uh, for these players, you know, the results will eventually just just come. I, I mean, I will give my almost fan, well, almost for you, absolutely a fan view, or nothing else, uh, for the brains of you to kind of decipher. Uh, Cal, I, I would look at that, and I think to some extent it's that supporting cast. It's not Bowen's area, I, I'll give him a break, but Ben Rama and Fournals in particular, and yeah. I think Paquetto against Southampton as well, actually missed some chances. So after all, you start to think, well, too many of those you've missed too, too easily almost. Uh, they look, I mean, technically, Pablo Fornals in particular, he can strike a ball lovely until he gets in or around the area where he seems to lose yeah. the ability to kick a ball. And Ben Rama, as very difficult as a chance to say that was yesterday as that ball drops out of the air, and he's really mm. well to actually control it, he's got the ability to score those. And those two in particular, there may be Paqueta coming into it. Obviously, there's a there's a lack of clinical finishing. And I, I, I think I did tweet yesterday, I was talking about composure, and then I tried to use that word you keep you use, Jack Pouser. Yeah. And then I and then I panicked and just put jack in question marks <laughs> obviously <there's, laughs> there is there's something going with those players and it doesn't feel like that area is perfect on that left side either so there's obviously that's a big weakness over there yeah 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 for sure um it's interesting that you picked out the supporting cast really because that definitely is how the the data pans out as well um mm. just quickly it's, it's worth noting that only two players if you do look at the data for the premier league this is are overperforming their xg this season which is Skamaka and Fornals. But when you actually think about the goals that they've scored, it's Fornals pretty got much one the massive ev- deflection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Skamakas were both low XG chances as well. Mm. So when you take that into consideration, everyone is. But um, yeah, there's 13 players that are currently underperforming their XG in the squad uh, in the Premier League. Suchek uh, has only had one goal from an XG of two, so he should have scored one more. Bowen, two goals from an XG of 3.5, so that's one and a half goals that he should have scored more. Uh, Paquetar, zero goals, but despite clocking up a 0.9 XG already. So when you total all the, the underperformers up, it's an XG of 6.1 that we're underperforming by. Mm-hmm. So in, in theory, if the supporting cast had performed at the expected level um, or converted the chances that they're expected to, rather, then we'd have scored six more goals. And I think having looked back through the data on a match-by-match basis as well, um, I looked at where the XG underperformance came in each game. Obviously, the Forest one is the real standout one, and, and we were expected to have won that. Um, but then also last night, we were good for at least a point um, and not far off the win. 
uh, really, in terms of the XG. I think it was about yeah. 1.9. And when you factor in the points dropped from XG underperformance, I think it's, it equates to four points, um, which would have us in the top half of the table. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's not necessarily that any individuals are underperforming massively. It's just that there's a uh, marginal underperformance across the board that is, is accumulating to to uh, build up to a bigger underperformance, which is obviously resulting in matches lost. But I think, yeah. as, as we've said, it's sort of it will eventually start to click. Um, uh, just, just sort of more personal than actually part of the pod. Um, at what at what level do you kind of accept an underperform? What at what level is an underperformance? Uh, obviously, a bad underperformance. There must, you know, because to some extent you know, maybe a point two of a goal or whatever. You expect people, some people are going to be a little below, little little above, etc. But where, like, at what point does, say, Declan Rice, if, if he is 0.5 mm-hmm. under his XG, is that, do you start to look and go, that's too much to just be unlucky? When do you start to get critical of that? Well, I think it depends really. It's, there's so much context involved, of course, yeah. because position by position, the, the, the margin would increase or decrease. Like you say, Deck is probably someone who's going to get off more lightly. A striker, on the other hand, is, is not. Um, also, these numbers, obviously, at this, so early into the season are, are fairly, are not arbitrary, because we can start to pick out trends, but XG in particular is a stat that I personally would only really look at over or under performance across an entire season, which yeah. is kind of how you how you approach the recruitment stuff, because it, it's the sort of stat that does aggre- uh, aggregate, is that the right word? Mm-hmm. A- across a, a bigger period and this is sort of when when me and Jack do the recruitment pieces when we look at XG over performance under performance it's one of the worst things you can do is just look at one season or, or even half a season which um, I remember a lot of fans were calling for us to sign uh, was it Bouladia because he yeah. massively overperformed his uh, XG mm. in a like four month period and then that just plateaued and, and he's now consistently underperforming and I think has been shifted around from club to club. I suppose that, that counts yeah. to, to someone like Ben Brereton diaz as well. You would have gone, I want more time to see that these yeah. numbers consistently move. Yeah, 100%. Well, that's um, why he hasn't got his move. Yeah, there comes a point, I, I, I'd be reluctant to put an exact number on it, but I think in terms of players to give a gauge, like it's hard, isn't it? Because it's also dependent on the role, but someone like Danny Welbeck, who's consistently, I think this season he's the biggest underperformer uh, in the league in terms of uh, chances without scoring a goal and XG underperformance. Someone like that who's consistently done that across their career, I'd steer clear of for obvious reasons, but then also you throw in the mix that he's very good at everything else and he he performs a role within a system that that, uh, allows for it, really. But um, someone like Skamaka as well, there's, there's obviously the flip side is that you sign someone who massively overperforms and then people are like oh is it sustainable but then some players that's the elite players isn't it that consistently outperform their xg year on year and that's that's when you know you've got a real winner i suppose what i was going to say to jack is how long how long of underperforming xg do you go from oh look our xg is quite good though so we're obviously making chances to well this is this isn't a a trend that's going to uptick in our favour <laughs> eventually this is just a problem that we don't score good chances uh, I, I think largely it's about where the XG underperformance is coming from, okay. as in what 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 are the quality of the chances are you looking at XG underperformance as just uh, generating s- several low quality chances that are therefore not being converted and you're totting up a high underperformance because your shots aren't from a good area. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in that case, you're looking at the individual and saying, okay, like you need to stop taking pot shots. You need to create yeah. chances in better positions. Or if you're looking at XG underperformance as, you know, single events repeatedly, then you're looking at that player not having composure in, in front of goal. You know, with either of those things, it takes time to kind of make a full analysis. Yeah. You know, it's it's too early in the season to to be able to to say. I think in terms of the question you asked earlier, I think if a forward is repeatedly underperforming their XG by sort of, you know, cumulatively 1.52, um, then, you know, you, you'd be looking at that and saying there's a, there's maybe a slight issue here. Uh, but then also you're looking at teams that have used that as a successful recruitment tool to find undervalued players yeah. that they can improve through coaching. Uh, you know, yeah. Brentford have done that very successfully. You know, look at um, Mope and Ben Rama were both signed for very cheap on that basis. Uh, I think Ollie Watkins might have been another one. So and Bumo as well, I think. And Bumo is an, is another one, yeah. Um, so I, I, it's it's a, it's a it's a difficult conversation, I, and partly 
you know, you're looking at, at, at players, you know, current West Ham players, you know, there's periods where Ben Rama has over seasons where Ben Rama has overperformed his, his XG, where he's been below his XG. You know, looking back at, uh, at last season, he was well over his, his XG. This season, he's below his XG. You know, they're not always like completely consistent things and you need mm. broad data sets to make it like a, a full opinion of someone. And the big thing that you kind of need to look at talking about shots from and positions and stuff is, is more looking at XG to like XG OT. So XG to expected goals to expected goals on target. Like, are they increasing the the quality yeah. of a chance or are they worsening the quality of the chance more than just looking at the raw XG data? I think that that comparison mm-hmm. between expected goals and expected goals on target is maybe a little bit more illuminating any which way i think it's too early right now yeah, yeah, yeah. um the only thing that you can really identify as a clear issue is the set piece thing it's it's players not converting set pieces because um as we'll come on to there's a level of consistency about the set pieces it's just that those those chances are not hitting the back of the net I'll say, I, we, 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 I, it makes sense for us to come on. We were going to do that one uh, fourth, but I think that probably makes sense to do now considering we're up in the conversation corners. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's come up a few times in different areas and I know everyone expects, I mean, it's, it's almost become a reputation thing. Oh, West Ham, we've got a corner. We'll, 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 score, mm-hmm. we'll score one of these eventually. I'm sure there's a lot of fans thinking, I'm sure we'd have scored about five or six from corners by now. Usually it hasn't quite clicked. And, or at least when the delivery has clicked, even if it hits a six foot five man in the center of the goal about five or six yards out, you can still put it wide. <laughs> um, I'm not over it. Um, Cal, so yeah, the numbers aren't looking great in that respect. Although it depends on your viewpoint, I guess. If, if, if it might be looking really good if you're concerned with delivery. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it, man. So I, I did look into the, the day. I think this is something that we'd all kind of put off for a bit because it wasn't exactly the most fun of tasks. Just crawling through through corner data and just watching delivery. What are you doing, delivery. love? <laughs> well, tonight, darling, we are sitting in and watching two hundred corners. Some of them don't have Craig Dawson. Yeah, I think that was the worst part, especially this season. It was like at least last season I'd watch a few and then there'd be a goal, and then yeah. this one it's been a bit dry. Um, but at the most base level, the data actually matches up pretty well this season which doesn't really match the eye test uh so in 2020-21 um the season we obviously qualified for Europa and probably started to really first earn this reputation uh 32.3% of our corners resulted in a shot last season that dropped to 31.7 uh, and this season we're on 31.4 so uh, across as an average it's it's about right it's about what we'd expect however and this comes with the fact that we've obviously still got a fairly small sample size. It, this season's result is massively skewed uh, by wildly different success rates. Recency bias comes into it too, because we had that uh, Southampton game, which in my mind was the one that everyone really picked it out as a, as a real issue, um, where only three of our 14 corners resulted in shots, which is, yeah, is not good and a, <laughs> and a considerable drop-off. Uh, again, one out of seven against Anderlecht, two out of ten against Stal Bucharest or FCSB, I think they probably prefer to be called these yeah. days, um, and four of 14 against Everton. So all of those games I've just mentioned were lower than 30%, which has obviously been our average across the three seasons. Um, and then this is, the average is then skewed even further by the fact that the way Scout calculates the averages that, uh, or, or most data sites really, that um, people will be pulling this information from, they just tot up the average, uh, the percentage of each game and then calculate an average. Um, and then when you've got games where it's one of one from City, 100%, that obviously drives the average back up towards. Yes, yeah. So when you actually look at all the shots and all the corners this season, which... <laughs> like I say, fun. Um, The average actually (laughs) drops off by about 6% uh, to 26.9% of all of our corners this season have have gone to shots. So that obviously poses the question, okay, well, why has this drop-off happened? So that's when I started to look at some of the video, thinking I was going to find some sort of profound (laughs) tactical answer. Really, it just came to the fact that, A, there is a distinct lack of Craig Dawson. um, And to a lesser extent, there's a lack of Mikel Antonio now that Skamaka's on the pitch. And Antonio, uh, whilst not perhaps being the most obvious person to consider because he rarely scored corners, uh, scored headers, direct headers from corners, he played a really important role in marking the keeper, which is something that Skamaka doesn't do because obviously he's six foot five. So you want him to try and get on the end of the headers. But then something that we've seen from Skamaka is that aerially he's actually not that good, uh, particularly his aerial finishing. 
Um, and I think the Dawson or, or lack of Dawson uh, was perfectly exemplified against Liverpool with with Tilo Kehrer having that free header uh, at the near post, uh, which yeah. was kind of Craig Dawson's trademark move. If you look at the footage, was the sort of delayed but very fast run from the penalty spot to the front post, usually arriving without a marker and sort of placing himself in between two defenders. Um, and Kehrer just doesn't seem to possess, possess this sort of A, the aerial ability, which is something we knew when we signed him, um, I think he came off the back of last season with just 47.5% of his aerial duels uh, he was winning compared to Dawson, who's on 56%. So he doesn't have that skill set, but it's him that's being tasked with with trying to copy the same sort of yeah. uh, routines as Dawson. So that's, that's one thing. And then I think it's also no coincidence that our only Premier League goal from a corner this season uh, came from... Antonio marking Mendy against Chelsea, yes, yeah. preventing him from claiming it, which then results in a bit of a scuffle. Rice lays it off and Antonio is there to poke it into the back of the net because he's caused the sort of chaos. So I think mm. those two uh, are sort of what I've picked out as being the main things. And I mean, if when you think about it, it's actually pretty obvious, but um, the footage backs it up, as does the data. Um, and I think, yeah, the sort of three to four man train that we've tended to see with Dawson at the back and then the defenders picking up the first three, but then that opens up a path for Dawson. It just doesn't seem that Kara has sort of a got the aerial prowess, nor the nor the understanding of the routines to to execute this quite as seamlessly. I think we're missing a guard as well in this yeah. in that sense because obviously he he's someone who who has pretty good numbers uh, yeah. off the top of my head. You know, recently with with Ren um, for for scoring goals from corners, and obviously we've been without him and Dawson, and the two of those would would probably offer a lot more in that. Yeah, 100%. I think the only reason I didn't mention Aguero is because we've obviously just not seen him in the team. So I have no idea what role he would play in that routine. But yeah, I think last season for Ren, he scored, I think, yeah, like I say, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure it was four goals from corners. So it, introducing him into the frame. And I think that probably was part of Moyes' continuity planning in signing him was that, okay, we'll sign in this new centre-back we're going to lose Dawson from the starting lineup, but we're not going to lose his aerial prowess because we're replacing him with a centre-back who can replicate his ability and role in that system. Whereas Aguerd's come in, got a serious injury. We've had to then buy another centre-back, Kera, who was never plan A and didn't really have the skill set to to do that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just, sorry, just, just to jump in, I've pulled up, just pulling up the, the centre-backs alone and, and the amount of shots that they're, that they're getting per 90. And looking at last season, you've got... Um, the lowest at Diop 0.19, Ogbonna above that 0.29, Zuma at 0.3, and then Craig Dawson on a just a ridiculous 0.82. <laughs> I was I was going to ask if he wanted a task. How, how, how what percentage of corners come with a shot if Craig Dawson's playing? Let alone actually him heading. I suppose the other task, if you had a really fun time ahead of you, Cal, would be to then assess each. Deliverer? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I did notice that. That was interesting, actually, was the consistency of Deliverer has has been up and down throughout the season. And there's a bit of a weird trend. And I don't know if it's something that has come from frustration at the lack of success or if it's Moyes trying to confuse the opposition in that in a few games, Cresswell's taken three, then Bowen's taken three, then Cresswell's taken three, then Bowen's taken three. And it's cycles of three. Um and it doesn't seem to be dependent on either side because they're both delivering a range of in-swingers and out-swingers, um, which to me is like a bit weird, but also it can't really do much for learning the routines, especially well, if you're constantly chopping and changing. And then you've got four nows and Ben Rama occasionally taking them as well when they want a right fur. So I think that lack of consistency will probably be playing into it as well. On those defenders, just comparing those numbers that I pulled out from last season. Yeah. So Dawson on 0.82, almost one shot, you know, not far under a shot per game yeah. when he was yeah. in the team um, last season. This season, you know, Dawson hasn't had a shot yet in his two two games. Ogbonna hasn't had a shot in the in the barely any minutes he's played. But then you've got Kerr on on 0.33 and Zoom run 0.6. So in terms of you know the centre backs actually getting their head on things and getting shots per ninety, that has dropped off really considerably from from last mm. season. We, we were going to go first half, second half, and. I, you won't find many West Ham fans who, who think that we, even inconsistently, in fact, is less than that, put together two good halves in the same game. Um, and it's, it's been, it feels like there's been quite a gap 
or a difference in our first half and second half performances so far this season? Yeah, I mean, the statistics are pretty revealing on this. Shane Thomas put up a a post earlier today comparing the the first half and second half stats and pretty much across the board improvements in the second half. I think tactically it's quite quite easy to see that in a a few games this season we've um, we've struggled with things that appear pretty obvious before the game. You know, it seemed like we were kind of slightly taken off guard by by Liverpool's 4-2-4 approach, which we really shouldn't have been. Um, before the match and, and even if we weren't taken off guard by that I'm not sure that that our, our strategy for dealing with it when Liverpool did get in subtle possession was particularly good I think you know we dealt, with, dealt well and competed well um, in terms of trying to disrupt their, their build-up in first phase when they're talking about you know goal kicks and, and stuff like that when they're trying to play out but but once they got into subtle possession it was very clear that Thiago had far too much time to to assess options and, uh, and be able to kind of quarterback moves and that that comes into play for the goal that they score and then even look Looking, you know, through other games, just off the top of my head, I can think that was an issue in the first half against Fulham, um, with us giving Jalpalinha far too much time, and then in the second half resolving that and um, and being able to control that match, and and even earlier in the season where we didn't find much of a fix, um, Alexis McAllister um, being given uh, too much time to kind of quarterback things um, for for Brighton. This is a bit of a repeating issue from a tactical perspective. It's good that we've been we're being able to or we've been able to resolve um, that, you know, in, in the second half against. Liverpool, for example, is a really uh, clear and, uh, and sensible fix with, with uh, Flynn Downs moving into a number 10 position rather than playing on the right of a 4-4-2, moving to a 4-2-3-1 where Declan Rice is freed up to to go forwards and press, but Downs is effectively man-marking Thiago. And then when the changes happen, Liverpool really um, struggle somewhat with, with Fabinho in that position. And beforehand in the Fulham game as well, the, 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 a similar real change really to a, to a more aggressive press where Declan Rice again is freed up to, to go and press forward a little bit and, and and win the ball higher up the pitch also just stop turning room and, and so on and so forth so yeah there's there's a, there's a there's a there's a clear repeating issue in the sense that the tactics haven't been necessarily perfect in the first half of games but that we've controlled the second half of games quite well it's it's not necessarily hugely surprising in light of that to see West Ham advertising for a new first team opposition analyst <laughs> so I, was, I mean I was going to kind of ask how do you take this positively and negatively are you frustrated by initial mistakes is it just the way that games sometimes go that actually you can't know everything that anyone's going to do and are, 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 are you then taking it as a we've got a good manager who's quite reactive or is that his issues or is it, it a bit of both I guess? it's a bit of both isn't it i mean it's a good thing if your manager can see what's happening on the pitch and make changes at halftime that impact the game so uh, so significantly that, you, that you're able to dominate long stretches of second halves and the issue before games is clear you know i i think these things are often broader than we might think they are i i, I it's difficult to say actually how much time your manager has to independently individually go and look and preview the opposition yeah. in in depth that partly will have to be at this level and particularly with the turnover of games um you know with the Europa League group stage ongoing or sorry Europa Conference League group stage ongoing that you know that time is probably very limited and then it's about you know your broader staff delegating those uh, that out to to, to analysts who, who can help you with that and, and it may well be the case that it's a staffing issue it may well be the case that we just haven't had the, the the people or the time to to properly go over games before they they happen to be able to work on things in enough depth i also think it's true that you know you have just have very limited training between i mean the amount yeah. of games that they've yeah, squeezed yeah. in before the world cup there is very limited training um before every match to kind of work with the players and we're working with a with a with a different group of players this this season and trying to slightly change the way we play at the same time as being able to to match up and deal with different oppositions and um, and we're yet to 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 really find you know a consistent identity as a team for this season I think there's still you know there are elements that are coming together and you know a lot of people are talking about it nearly clicking and I think that's right you know things are improving significantly and maybe once we've got that that process will become a little bit smoother um so yeah a, a bit of both but I think there are some really big positives in the fact that the, the manager is seeing what's going wrong on several occasions recently and is cha- is changing and, and actually making the right changes to, to really impact the second halves. I guess it's also a, a, you're, you're trying to prepare for what someone else might do, what you want to do differently 
against this team anyway. You've got three days at best, maybe one because rest days actually count as real days. And we're transitioning all these new players and we keep getting these little... This, it doesn't seem to be long that we're going without an injury somewhere that's just knocking it off course. So Yeah, I think that's really worth mentioning. The team is, is changing uh, almost constantly um, at the moment. You know, the, the back line has changed pretty much consistently game to game throughout the season so far. So without, uh, you know, like a, a solid base of the same players to to build upon and without a very clear you know identity for that new group of players it is it is just more difficult to get these things right we kind of reflect on europe and actually we keep it feels like every pod we bring up this kind of negative of oh, the europe the turnover it affects us in the league but we've had positive results in europe and maybe those positive results in europe that have possibly helped us kind of get our footing in the premier league cow but how how easy is it do you think to judge how we're doing in Europe and what level those teams are to how how we can judge what we're doing within it. I mean, are we just doing the bare minimum? Are we beating what's in front of us? Are actually we playing well? And are, 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 are these proof of you know positive things to learn from the team? As the campaign's gone on, I've been more impressed. I think Anderlecht probably represent the best quality team in the group, thinking through the group in my head. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if Sil- Sil- think... Silkeborg have had some good yeah. results in the last few, but yeah. Yeah, and I think that's it. When it first started out, I was we obviously were getting the points, but mm. we were the performances were less convincing, and that extends back to again the game against Viborg as well, where they we essentially made them look like Barcelona at this well, old Barcelona, the way they were sort of knocking the ball about. And and that's not to discredit them at all. But I think when you say, Oh, the is it is it to do with the quality of the opposition? I think well, if it is, if we're gonna say that the only reason we're doing well is because we're playing bad teams, then quite often they've looked at times to be at least on a level with us, which was causing me a bit of concern at the start. But I think that my my take, and I, I I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it does feel to a degree that sort of the Europa Conference League has been something of a laboratory for David Moyes to kind of experiment with things that he, well, A, doesn't want to risk trying out in the Premier League because there's not necessarily more at stake, but the likelihood of us not getting through that group was always going to be pretty yeah. slim. Um, whereas our form in the league has been probably worse than we had anticipated and therefore to experiment with things. And if they go wrong, we then give ourselves more of a mountain to climb yeah. in terms of picking points back up. So the sort of experimentation with different players, different personnel, like obviously Flynn Downs mm. has shone in both occasions and then actually it looked really good at Liverpool last night as well. And sort of it's acting as sort of a place for us to bed in tactical ideas, but also bed in new signings that Moyes is reluctant to throw straight into Premier League action, much to the fans' frustration. (laughs) But I think from my point of view, he's been proven right because Downs has has had those opportunities. He's been drip-fed into the system and then has come in to an away game at Anfield and, and looked like one of the best players on the pitch, at least for us. So, yeah, I think it's hard to really get a gauge of how much the wins mean because I think there's not been that much consistency. Um, Jack's more obviously more qualified to talk about the tactical aspect of it, and, and I'm sure he's going to go on to do that. But I think in terms of the performances, I'm not getting too excited by it. But in terms of individual, on an individual level, it's been nice to watch players shine and yeah. and. I mean, Skamaka as well sort of found his goal-scoring form and then that translated over to the Premier League as well with two Premier League goals to his name. So in that respect, I've been pleased. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, conceding two goals against Siltborg, I don't think anyone would have really before the game expected that or said that that would be a good result. No, no, it's interesting. You you go on that and it's the the kind of tactical differences rather than particular experimentations. But actually, that's a really good point. And that's kind of where we were going with this, Jack. Are are we playing this now as if we've almost, we're playing in Europe and we're we're old hats, old heads at this even now. And we know how to play Europe. You have to play Europe slightly differently. Or are we, is it, is it more kind of like Cow's got actually this is a chance to experiment, see some different systems and see different players, different roles? It's very difficult to answer that question without yes, being inside David Moyes' head. <laughs> I, I, I do apologise for that. I cannot tell you whether yeah. whether this is something that West Ham will will do in the future with regards to the tactics that we've utilised in the Europa Conference League. What I can tell you is that with all the contextual information that I have, 
we played this a little bit in the Europa League last season. We played it in pre-season quite a bit. We were interested in targeting wing-backs over the summer. There is some evidence to support the idea that this might be um, a, a system that we're interested in, in playing in the future in the Premier League. What system are we mainly playing in Europe for, for say, those of us who can't see it? Where we've often played a 4-2-3-1 in the Premier League um, or a 5-4-1 in the Premier League or 3-4-3, depending on how you see it or how it looks in different games. Um, it's 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 been a 3-4-3 a or three four one two um the, the clear differentiating factor factor being the use of a false nine um yeah. with a back three system and um, we've seen ben rama play through the middle middle quite a bit and you know antonio and bowen as the as the as the wide kind of inside forwards or, or skamaka used as, a, as an inside forward with bowen as well in that system i think that's something that we saw as, as uh, you know going as as, uh, as far back to i can think uh Genk away last season in the group stage of the Europa League was the first time I really remember seeing this and noticing it. It was really bad in that game and we really struggled in uh, in midfield to cover all of the angles. It's very difficult for the two players in there to match up against three players when the opposition are playing a 4-3-3. But there are, there are, there are kind of obvious reasons uh, watching the team play in that system that you can understand why it might be a, a, a useful way to play going forward and Aaron Cresswell's form from a left centre-back position has been really strong I think also Rice and Suchek work incredibly well in a back three system it's a brilliant partnership when both are able free to, to go forwards when when um, when they need to you know, Rice's carrying is really unlocked in that system and Suchek is also more able to to get into the box. I think one of the key things that it enables is sustaining pressure, which we really struggle with with the 4-2-3-1. Uh, penning teams in is something that that back three system allows. I think, you know, the the the, the usage, usage in the in the conference league, and actually we've seen it in the Premier League a, a couple of times. I think we saw it um, against Chelsea and I think we also saw it against Spurs and we saw it against Southampton has been more promising than, than than previously there are obviously still really big things to work on and we'll come to that as we talk about it you know wingbacks is one of the key key problems with that system at the moment which isn't much of a surprise given um, the recruitment and the, the recruitment plans in the summer and then the lack of lack of signings in those positions but yeah I think you know there, there are clear reasons why that would be a, a potentially very uh, strong system in the future and we talked at the end of last season about the the, the need for tactical evolution um, from where we were because teams had worked us out a little bit um, and developing this as uh, certainly an, at least an alternate system that we can use in, in, in games in the Premier League um, and be confident in uh, will we'll really strengthen the kind of tactical variation and therefore uh, ability to kind of take teams, uh, catch teams off guard and, uh, and also use different tailor uh, systems to oppositions uh, in a much improved way so yeah uh, I can't tell you whether like I said I can't tell you whether it's something that we we will eventually bed in and use regularly in the Premier League but there, there has been a level of improvement uh, at kind of implementation of the system from from where we were last season and even at the start of the Conference League group stage towards to, uh, to the end of the Conference League group stage we've seen uh, quite significant development in, in, in how good we are at playing that system. I suppose what, what these games do give is a certain proving ground that you can't get in training but you wouldn't want to say put into a maybe you wouldn't want to put into a Premier League game whereas actually this is giving us a chance to in some extent test these things out and get used to things in shop before we actually put them out to be um, used in, in the in the real thing with quotations <laughs> sorry to any Anderlecht Silkborg or FTSB fans listening um, those, yeah. were, those were Chris's words not mine I'm not particularly because I think it's a big if and if they are listening then I <laughs> <laughs> they'll come and they'll find me but if, if I if, I mean if I know any Europeans they're just doing very politely so it'll be fine um, probably with some pity in their voice watching us as a country at the moment um we move on from there to uh stats ugly stats and statistics which is my other pitch jack for the uh, title of this this podcast um, on twitter and i kind of aim this more at you for the moment jack but actually obviously cow this is very much your area as well with these numbers um it was this the reason i brought this up did i bring this up the reason i was thought about this anyway whether i brought it up or not and if, if I didn't bring it up, it's my idea now. Um, it was was based on, I think it was a discussion you were having about Suchek and maybe Leicester not having a player like that. Uh, just the amount of just headers from, say, long kicks and stuff like that, that Suchek wins that maybe don't get given any credit or are given any credence because there's a certain level of expectation on there. And also they're ugly they're ugly bits of football that don't feel 
prominent either. It's just like meat and drink in a way. Do we understand, do we appreciate these kind of stats enough? And actually, we'll move on to limiters afterwards. Do we understand these kind of things enough and do we give them enough credence? I'm not sure it's a, it's a question of understanding. I just mm. think it's a question of a kind of like attention span and interest. <laughs> you know, ultimately for, for anyone watching a football match, there are periods of the game where you, you slightly switch off and and that's kind of, the game is really intense uh, and, you know, it's a very emotional experience as a fan. And naturally the, the, the moments where you kind of switch off a little bit more or have a chat with someone or turn around are, are, are goal kicks and yeah. uh, free kicks when they're deep in the opposition half, when the keeper's coming out to, to take them. And, and like I said in that tweet, really, no one comes to football to watch the other team kick off, take goal kicks, take free <laughs> kicks, take corners. No, it's boring. Uh, if I've learned anything in life, there'll be at least one person yeah. <laughs> who's gone to a game got some bloody goal kick. <laughs> well, after I've said this, everyone's going to think that person's me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, you know, I'm not sorry to Silkeborg fans, but I am sorry to that one person. <laughs> who's done for the goal kicks but yeah the vast majority other than that one person don't really come to football to watch those things and and i think therefore we kind of disregard the value of having a player that is so effective in 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 these situations and and um even if he's not effective in certain games in these situations he still remains the kind of the key piece of how we deal with any of these situations he is central to to our ability to defend set pieces uh, and and to deal with long balls and you see how useful he is in the in the Southampton game for example where we tried to press a little bit more aggressively in the first half and Southampton had joy going uh, straight from Bazunu to Adams for for, for for much of that first half and and Adams really dominated Tilo Kera in the air and also just in physical physical duels and then in the second half you see Thomas Suchek dropped in to kind of sandwich Adams between himself and and Kera and, and Adams effectiveness completely dropped off a, a off a cliff um after that and you know what we talk about in terms of the second half uh, against Southampton, for example, just taking one game, we talk about Ben Rama coming off the bench. We talk about players being more effective in possession. We talk about uh, sustaining pressure. We talk about um, winning corners, creating chances. We we don't talk about the guy winning headers from every goal kick that allows us to keep possession or turn yeah. over possession quickly when the opposition win it. We just don't talk about that uh, because it's not very interesting frankly and i don't it's not i'm not sitting here saying that i expect people to start talking about it but it is a crucial part of how any team's play, team plays football as as much as the as the Leicester comparison is you know kind of um i don't know what the word is it's a, it's it, it may be slightly over the top Leicester's issues from from set pieces have been well documented over the course of the last sort of season if not longer and you can see just how much it hamstrings aside when you're going to concede a a goal from set pieces every other every other game and at times last season every game it it, it makes winning football matches much much harder and um you know as much as uh he may struggle to contribute in in other areas uh it's a it's a key way of how we defend at, at the moment and um yeah i think there's a question you know like the conversation we're just about to come on to in terms of limiters i think there's a question maybe more from a recruitment standpoint of can you find someone who you know, can do this and is effective in in other ways as well? Or can you find another member of the team who doesn't need to be effective in in other ways, like, you know, a centre-back who is going to do a lot of this work very successfully? Yeah, I think that's a conversation that's worth having. But when it comes to the the individual and what they're uh, tasked with with offering the side, you know, know, that's a key part of what Thomas Suchek does. And most fans write it off every single week. A really unfair question for you, not as unfair as making Jack try and read David Moyes' mind like I did earlier. Um, but if, if I if I say ugly stat, an ugly number to you, what, what do you think is an underappreciated stat when you're looking at your stuff, when you're doing your, and granted this is going to be very difficult to think of, and per position, and you have to remember it anyway. Um, so I'm stacking, I'm stacking the odds against you. Um, what, what kind of areas are you thinking of if I say ugly statue or underappreciated metric maybe to try and put it in a, in a term that sounds like i know what i'm talking about well as you as you've rightly flagged up it it completely depends on the position um yeah. and this is what this is these are the discussions that me and jack have when when building our sort of auto shortlisters and identifying what what metrics are most important for each position and then giving each of them a weighting in terms of their importance to that position but i mean in terms of what we've just said about suchek i think both suchek and rice actually but obviously rice rice constantly gets his flowers because he's amazing but suchek doesn't because 
people need a scapegoat. But um, Suchek is actually in the top 10 of all Premier League central midfielders for successful defensive actions this this season so far. Um, that is midfielders to have played. I think I've got more than 500 minutes at the minute because obviously we're only short way into the season. But particularly with Suchek as well, I mean, I think he's contesting uh, the fourth highest number of aerial duels per 90 in the middle of the park, which speaks to kind of what we were just saying there, what Jack was saying about the importance of actually winning those those um, aerial duels and he wins more than anyone around him uh, bar Scott McTominay um, who wins 5% more uh, and then oh I've just seen it again it's given me flashbacks to when I thought Rodri was 5 for 8 and he's actually 6 for 3 uh, <laughs> yeah, he wins 68% but yeah so so those those ones for for Suchek and then uh, it's the tucked in shirt necess- isn't it it's the tucked in shirt yeah, that's, that's it that's it. It gives it me Scotty, Scotty P. Yeah. That's it. Um, but it's it's for Suchek. It's not really, it's not really like hidden metrics as such. It's just metrics that people they're not glossy or exciting. Like no, yeah. like you said, and and Jack said, no one goes to the football to to count how many aerial duels someone's contesting every game or how many possession adjusted slide tackles Thomas Suchek is making in the middle of the park. 1.3 for anyone that does care. Um, <laughs> and the successful defense, like people care. I know that. And... I know there's probably one bloke who does care. <laughs> it's that same bloke. It's that same bloke. And yeah, it's just the stuff that, it's just the non-flashy stuff. And I think there's, there's other stuff that Suchek does as well that metrics don't reflect. And it's like, if there was a metric for counters prevented from positioning per 90 or something like that, I'm yeah. sure Suchek would, would be pretty high because he just seems to know where to be and he, he does read the game he's, exceptionally well. He's so well. good at, at stalling counters. He's so, yeah. so good at stalling counters just by putting himself in the right place to deny forward passes and to effectively say to someone, you're going to have to dribble past me to continue this counter-attack. There's a certain thing you can't, like, you can't put a number on Rice being in the right position, whether he actually has to then do anything or not. Yeah, and those things can't yeah. be kind of yeah measured. Yeah, and you also can't com- compare an, an interception uh, where where someone has literally just like passed the ball to the wrong place, uh, and you've been there to to cut it out or or just made a bad decision from like Rice's interceptions, which are often I want you to play the ball here, and then I'm going to yeah. run round nip in front and take it. You know, that's a completely different thing, but they'll count exactly the same. I, w- I would jump in here by the way and just say like you know. Simple things. I think uh, pressures often just like who cares. To be honest with you, I'd say pretty much everything. I think uh, uh, like most things uh, go underappreciated. I think the things that we we look for are, you know, defenders winning headers in the box and and attackers scoring goals and 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 getting assists. Most of the other stuff kind of is neither here nor there for 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 the vast majority of people and the other thing that happens is is we have a very limited and restrictive idea of what players should do based on what position they occupy in the team i've had countless arguments over the years with years with people over like what what a left midfielder is meant to do or what a number 10 is meant to do or what a left back is meant to do or what a number eight is meant to do that's got to be an impossible argument because the answer is what the manager wants it precisely (laughs) and this is where we come this is where it always comes back to is it it, it, you know your individual view philosophy of what a left winger should do or what a number 10 should do or what a left back should do may not and often won't align with what the manager wants them to do you know, it's, you know, these roles are, are handed out across a team, across various different positions and, and change all the time. But we have a very stereotyped view of what each player is meant to do. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's somewhat an odd thing for us to have one of our most creative and progressive and key players in possession to be our left back, you know, and people just kind of don't factor that into how they analyze Aaron Cresswell because it doesn't suit what they view a left back's key contributing factors, you know, should be. Um, It's similar with, with Thomas Suchek, you know, in terms of the progressive value he adds much of the time in, in this West Ham team, I think it has become an issue. I I completely agree with that, but much of the time previously in this West Ham team, it wasn't really, it wasn't an issue because it wasn't important. He wasn't asked to, 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 to contribute the progressive value in the team. It wasn't something that was really asked of him. I think it's partly because other teams have, have worked out how to deal with us in possession that he is finding himself more often isolated as the player with the ball being asked to, to, to contribute progressively. Uh, previously, before that, Pablo Fornells was a big uh, battleground o- 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 on this level and, and and what a left winger should do. When effectively, a lot of the time, Pablo Fornells was playing number 10 
but he was just starting as a left winger. But he was often looking at like the Lingard period mm. where Lingard was the number 10. You know, Lingard's role in the team was very similar to that of what your, you know, stereotypical left winger in a 4-3-3 would be. And Pablo Fornauz's role on the left of that team was very similar to what your kind of number 10 in a in a team that's looking to enable a front three would 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 do. Lanzini as well is another one, you know. Um, I, for, I mean, I find that point on you kind of what you expect really, really fascinating because that must be, it's almost the key part of what seems like a, a, a never-ending four nows and Ben Rama a, a debate at the moment. Like, as I said yesterday, so I mean, four nows and Bowen are playing this. Might be playing the same position. They play it entirely differently. And four nows might not be going to the byline, cutting it back, getting you across in. But he's obviously doing something that the manager wants, and it really it shouldn't be. I want the player to come on and do this. They should really be looking at what they think the manager is asking for now to do and why he what he's doing that means he's being picked. Actually, just on this recently, the other day, it must have been yesterday when Man United played, Bruno Fernandes did an interview after the game where I think it was Roberto Martinez who was on the kind of punditry um, table standing, you know, in, in, the, in the corner mm. at Old Trafford and, uh, Trafford and chatting to him and said sort of, how do you feel now playing in a team that's got two wingers that invert and constantly come into the central space? What's that like for you as a number 10? You know, what, what how does that affect you know, how you have to play and, and what you have to do in those central areas because they must be so congested. And he said, you know, like sometimes the space is there, but actually I find that my role is often more about enabling those players now. Can I run into other spaces to create more room for those players to be effective in central areas? Can I stretch the game um, from my position? It's not necessarily about getting on the ball and providing assists anymore, but it's about creating space for for others. You know, his role has shifted in the, based on the manager that he's played under. It was completely different under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to what it is under Eric Ten Hag, but he's playing the same position. It's also those kind of off-the-ball runs as well that's going to be really, really hard for people to assess, especially on one watch when you're watching the ball. Um, and that's natural, because why would you be just up all the ball? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if we score, but what I do care about is where Thomas Suchek runs when we've got the ball in this quadrant of the pitch. There was the, the term limiters then is coming up. And I, 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 I have said, we were talking about Suchek, weren't we, earlier and those limiters. And we're talking limiters. Well, actually, Jack, I'll ask you to, to kind of define what you mean by that. That makes most sense. Well, when I say a limiter, I, I mean a player that via their skill set and lack of certain skills limits the, 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 the ceiling of the team. I think, I think floor and ceiling are basketball terms. I believe, yeah, and effectively mean like what the 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 bottom, you know, what the base level of your team is, and what the what the max level of your team is, you know, and certain players uh, increase the, the the kind of minimum level of your team, and certain players increase the maximum level or or, or limit and, and stop you from being able to 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 increase a higher um, top level. Uh, sorry, hit a higher top level, and um, you know, you look at certain players in the team and their skill sets, like Suchek in, in central midfield, and lacking progressive ability or lacking ability in possession or confidence in possession, uh, and that's a that's a limiting player in some respects because of the fact that you cannot have uh, that progressive ability in, in the center of the park. Sufal, uh, you know, I think similarly is is a limiter. Um, so yeah, I think those. That's how I would define. You know what a limiter is. Why are we talking about it? We're talking about it because it needs to be factored in into the way that we assess uh, performance, okay. and and we're and it's particularly relevant right now because I, as we're recording this podcast, it's only very recently that, that Vladimir Sufal has come come under a lot of pressure on on social media and has received abuse on social media and and had to you know block people in response, delete his own tweet. I mean, it's something that we've talked about in, in, in before doing podcasts, talking about let, let's let's talk about what's what what the kind of uh, prevailing opinion is on twitter a little bit less but but this has impacted the, the the a player directly obviously so it's it's worth talking about and it's more just talking about like a player is never intentionally you know hiding uh you know no sorry never hiding a skill from you and never intentionally derailing a performance you know a players are always trying their best and when we come to limiters it's important to like assess their performance within the context of what they offer what they're yeah. you know what they're there for and you know if you assess every thomas suchek performance on the basis of how he progresses the ball then of course he's going to be terrible every single week. If you assess um, Vladimir Sufal on his uh, calmness in possession, then you're going to have a real issue there as well. It's important to kind of factor in a player's skill set into how you analyze their performance. And ultimately, when we come to you know 
assessing um, limiters and their impact on the team, that's more of a, a discussion about selection and recruitment than it is mm. about the individual. The individual is always going to try their best. Um, the question is maybe more, should you be looking at recruiting a player who doesn't limit the team in this way uh, and replacing that team and that player in the starting lineup? Or is what they do in a sort of floor raising sense, like Thomas Suchek limiting the amount of goals that you concede? I shouldn't use the word limiting, but it's just what game because it makes it more complex, but limiting the amount of goals that you concede from set pieces, valuable enough that um, his his limiting factors in, in uh, what you can do well uh, are are no longer relevant to the degree that it's worth taking him out of the team, and these are managerial decisions more than more than being related to the individuals themselves. So it's sort of kind of about that kind of positive and benefits. What do you bring? Is it more than what you take away? I suppose it's not the right term. Yeah, and, and also and also as a manager, your job we've talk, we've spoken about spoken about this on the on the podcast previously, and it's very 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 simple. It's like the manager's job is to maximize what players are good at and minimize what you know, what they're not good at. You know, you want yeah. to you want to get That's, uh, yeah. That's big. Sorry, I want to come on to that because where, where, at what point do you, are you critical of the manager for leaving Suchek in situations or maybe, you know, where he has to do more of the things that you know he has those limitations with? Where, where do you take away, say, say the blame? It's not the word I mean, but you know what I mean. For Sofal, when actually, you know, those are weaknesses that are known. When do you look at the manager and think actually you should be limiting their opportunity to do that i think i think i think looking back at the start of the season you were looking at the manager a lot more i mean failures in build-up was it was a key key issue and suchek was a key part of that issue and it was about finding a way to to progress play yeah. um without thomas suchek ending up being you know central to to that that functioning in terms of playing the the final line breaking yeah. uh pass I think we've seen some development in that recently in uh in Declan Rice's combinations with with Aaron Cresswell particularly and also Declan Rice playing at what, what appears to be more longer longer passes and doing so with a with a high success rate spreading the uh, the play better and, and and allowing us to escape from pressure you know so I think it's you look at the manager for certain things and then for other things you look at the like the entire structure and you say like how have we landed ourselves in ourselves in a position where both right backs that we're going to regularly use in the Premier League um, Vladimir Sufal and Ben Johnson don't appear to have particularly much calmness on the ball you know, especially when those players are going to be relied upon semi-regularly if not regularly in games to to deal with pressure and play through pressure Before we go I would just quickly like to ask you about Kerry the centre-back Kerry the right-back um, Anyone who watched the Liverpool game yesterday will remember that actually it happens everywhere but Kerry the centre-back can be rash to a point of anxiety coursing in everyone else well Cal talked about his aerial dual success rate it's it's nowhere near good enough it's a problem for the way that we defend you know if you're going to encourage teams to 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 go wide and cross the ball in a low block shape it's a problem when you've got a center back in the middle of that that can't win a header and then looking more at defending counters if, you, if you've got someone often making rash decisions and exposing themselves to being you know, run off of or, or, or beaten in, in 1v1 duels um, and that's a problem as well. So I think, you know, it was clear from the start, uh, I spoke from the start about him having a mistake per game minimum um, and it often being a, a quite quite a big mistake when he's playing in that centre-back position. And I don't think that, that that's something that we can tolerate long-term. I think it's more likely that we'll see him feature um, at right-back. I think there are games where he can be very well suited to playing centre-back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, and I know we're only doing it because of injury, but up against you know, Mohamed Salah, yeah. It, it it just wasn't wasn't the right <laughs> wasn't the right match for him to be playing in that position, and he was exposed pretty pretty horribly in the in the last half an hour of that game. One one last question before we go. Then um, everyone fit, everyone back. Kerr right back. Good question. Uh, for me, I don't think so, but it's it's tricky because we don't really have the personnel, or at least the personnel informed to play the type of right back role that we want our right back to play so what I mean by that is that you want your left back and right back to offer a balance in attack right so if you've got Cresswell who's not going to get forward and, and commit to overlapping runs mm. albeit recently he, he kind of has taken that on and I wonder if in part that's because the right side of the attack is no longer doing that so he's kind of stepped up to the plate and said fine I'll do it but he's generally speaking the progressor from deep who will play balls into the channels uh, into the flank and has done so effectively for seasons on the other side has been Sufal, who uh, at his peak has been an over consistent overlapping threat with good delivery in the final third and a willingness to get into the final third when he's not running into the final third to play in Bowen 
in behind and who can then put the ball into the box himself. That has not been the Sifal that we've seen this season. I don't think Kera offers that. And I think if you've got Cresswell on the left and then Kera on the right, who ultimately wants to play a similar sort of role to Cresswell in that mm. his biggest strength is his progressing pass, his progressive passing from deep and the occasional carry, but usually only to the halfway line. Um, I think that really upsets the balance of the team in progression because you've got two fullbacks, neither of whom want to present much of an overlapping threat. Mm. And then you're back to square one where you're struggling to sort of get the ball into the final third. And then when you do get there, you've not really got anyone to whip it in because both of your wingers are wanting to invert uh, and then look to play it back out to an on-runner. Um, so I think in the right system, I think Kara potentially, maybe in a system where Emerson is potentially the guy that wants to get into the final third. But then again, I don't think he yeah. really has the requisite skill set to to carry yeah. out the roles that we want to see either. Um so, so I think what really you, what, what you're saying is you no, want Kerr Ker- in the first in the in the uh, in our half on the ball and then you want him to have Sufal's attitude when he crosses the halfway line and attacks. I mean yeah that would be the the, the ideal right back it presuming it, presuming it yeah presuming it was peak Sufal <laughs> yeah. who actually has the final third threat rather than this mm. season I mean yeah. the the dream fullback or, or wing back rather is someone who marries those sort of three categories in into yeah. one which is the progressor the provider and the carrier and if you could have someone who could do all of that then that'd be great but this is the issue that we find ourselves at is that we're trying to play a system and we and we don't seem to have a right back who can carry out the duties that we want them to. I, I look. I, I want us to sign a fullback in in January, probably a right back. I, I've for for a very long time now. I've I've commented on lack of spending in this position. I really wanted us to sign a left back, the two two left backs maybe even um, in, in the summer. It's certainly a left back better than Emerson, which I who I've not really been impressed with so oh, far. I said at the time that I wasn't impressed with the signing. I haven't been surprised by the fact that he hasn't performed. People were really upset that I wasn't impressed by the signing, but he's not an Italian player in the in in the in the Euros final or not. He is not a superb player and and he hasn't dislodged Cresswell and I didn't think he would I think Aaron Cresswell so far this season has offered something as an overlapping player so with the current personnel for me it's Cresswell and Kara um as a left back and right back um that depends somewhat on how Sufal plays and in in Mm -hmm. the appearances he gets and the minutes he gets but but the key thing for me is that you just need to recruit someone in in January yeah well, I think we should finish on the good news that Fulham are beating Aston Villa 3-0 and there's we want Gerard out chance from the Villa fans. <laughs> and to Get me, it. that's hilarious. So on that point, I will say oh. good night and thank you. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on you irons.